Today we're continuing our Future Starts Now series where we're making our way through the book of 1 Peter, this amazing letter that Peter wrote uh, to the early church, the Christians who had scattered from Jerusalem, uh, particularly to an area called Asia Minor, which is what modern day Turkey is today. And so, so far we've looked at three key themes that Peter's unpacked. And the reason we've called this series The Future Starts Now is because uh, Peter's talking about things that one day are going to be true for us all of the time when we reach eternity. But at the same time, Peter's challenging us to recognize those things are true for us in the here and now as well. And so the first week we looked at the theme of hope, to recognize the hope that we're holding out for, but to recognize that that hope has something uh, meaningful for us in the here and now. The second week we talked about the idea of being holy and we were challenged to recognize that one day we will be holy in the way that God is holy, but In the interim, we can spend time pursuing holiness and striving to be holy the way that God is holy. And last week, we talked about what it looks like to be chosen and to recognize these key roles that God has chosen us for, again, for eternity, but also uh, what that means for us to live that way in the here and now. And so I encourage you, if you went around the last couple of weeks or you want a reminder about those, uh, you can have a listen to them on our website, our Facebook page, uh, or through our podcast. So... We're in the fourth week where we're going to be talking about the theme of submission. So a nice easy one for us today. Uh, So you have your teaching notes inside of Caring Connection. So if it's helpful to jot things down as we go through the message, please feel free to do that. So before we get into the message today, I want to unpack the meaning of submission. Because what we project onto the word submission is going to significantly impact these verses that we're going to have a look at today. So if we go back to the origins of the word submission and we break it apart, it's two words, sub and mission. And so the origins of those two words are sub, which means under, and mater, which means to put. And so when we think about the idea of submission, we're really talking about putting something under something else. The dictionary definition of that is the act of accepting the power or authority of someone else. The act of submitting, of accepting the power or authority of someone else. When we submit, we're effectively saying, I give you power and authority over me. Now, the other way that we use this word submission or to submit something is when we think about an assignment or a project or a report that we submit a project or we submit an assignment, but it's the same idea. When we give that work in, we're effectively putting ourselves under someone else's authority who then looks at that work and then makes an assessment on us. So that can be a helpful way of us being able to think about it too. Now, for many of us, when we think about the idea of submission, the first connotation is probably negative because we may have grown up or we may have heard stories about when submission has been used in a really unhealthy way where it's basically do what you're told and don't argue back no matter what. Just effectively roll over and do what you're told. End of story. That's not what submission is. And that's something that we're going to unpack in some detail as we go through. When we look at the biblical understanding of submission, there's a key word that is always focused around this word submission. And it's the word love. Submission in a biblical context is always done out of love. The choice for us to put ourselves under the authority or power of someone else is only ever done because of love. And that's something that we're going to unpack as we go through as well. 
So it's helpful for us to remind ourselves that even Jesus was willing to submit, that Jesus was willing to submit to the will of the Father and to say whatever God's will was for him, for his life, he was willing to put himself under the power and authority of God to make those decisions. But even more radically, Jesus was willing to submit to the will of his parents. So in Luke chapter 2, we read about Jesus intentionally saying that he was willing to come under the authority of Mary and Joseph, which is pretty remarkable when you think about it. But for Jesus, his motivation in both of those things is love. There's a helpful reminder in that as we think about Jesus, that because Jesus puts himself under the power and authority of God, we don't think of him as less than God. We think that Jesus is equal with God, that they have equality. And we certainly wouldn't say that Jesus is lower than Mary and Joseph. In some ways, we would actually say Jesus has far more power and authority than Mary and Joseph, but he chooses to submit. And so that's an important thing for us to hold in tension as well. Submission doesn't mean inferiority. It doesn't mean putting myself lower than someone else. It's just choosing to put myself under their power and their authority out of a sense of love. So we need to hold that in our minds because as we're going to see, if we don't, A whole bunch of things can go sideways really, really fast. So let's get into what Peter has to say. So 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 13 says, For the sake of the Lord, submit yourselves to every human authority, to the emperor, who is the supreme authority, and to the governors who've been appointed by him to punish the evildoers and praise those who do good. For God wants you to silence the ignorant talk of foolish people by the good things that you do. Live as free people. Do not, however, use your freedom to cover up any evil, but live as God's slaves. Respect everyone, love other believers, honour God and respect the emperor. It's really important for us to recognise that as Peter challenges us about the first area of submission, submitting to authorities, he's writing to the context of a bunch of people who have just been under the emperor Nero who is one of the worst dictators in the history of the world. A terrible, terrible man, terrible, terrible leader. That's the context in which Peter's writing to these people. They're under Roman power and Roman authority. And yet Peter is saying, you need to submit to the emperor and to all of the Roman authorities around you. All of the governors, all the people who are in positions of leadership right across the Roman Empire. And so this is a really big challenge for us right off the bat to say, okay, are we supposed to submit even to evil emperors, even to evil presidents, even to people in positions of authority who do wrong? One of the challenges that Peter throws in here is the reality that maybe God can even work through those people. He says, the governors have been appointed to punish the evildoers and and praise those who do good. So even people who are inherently not good people still can possibly be used for God's purposes. I don't know about you, but I feel very challenged about that because there are a number of world leaders through history. There are a number of world leaders currently who I don't understand why they're in the positions of authority that they are. I completely disagree with the way that they live their lives, with the way that they govern the people around them. And yet Peter's saying that we should be willing to submit to their authority and to recognise that God ultimately has the power to remove anyone from any position. And so if they're still in a position of authority, then we've got to trust God in that. That's very, very challenging. But this is, again, is where we have to come back to the definition of submission. This is not saying that submitting to those powers and authorities means that we submit 100% of the time, roll over, don't ever challenge anything. 
but it's about the word respect, which interestingly the kids talked about when we did our kids talk. Respecting everyone. And everyone includes everyone, which includes the emperor, includes people who are in positions of authority in the government. To honour people, not violating people, not seeing people as objects, not demonising people, but recognising that these are people. And so as we come back to the idea of submission out of love, if we start from love, are we able to get to a place where we can recognise that every person on this planet is someone who God loves? Every person on this planet is someone who's been created in God's image. So are we willing to be people who love everyone, even if we completely disagree with them, regardless of the positions of power that they're in? The message translation of these last couple of verses is helpful. It says, exercise your freedom by serving God, not by breaking the rules. Treat everyone you meet with dignity. Love your spiritual family, revere God, respect the government. So that's helpful. When we talk about this idea of submitting to the authorities above us, we are saying again, what does love look like to offer respect to those who are in positions of power? Well, Peter then zooms in a little bit further and talks about what submission looks like in the workplace, but it doesn't get any easier. In verse 18, he writes, You servants must submit yourselves to, the masters, uh, to your masters and show them complete respect, not only to those who are kind and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. So once again, let's remember the context in which Peter's writing. There are people who are enslaved, people who are literally living as slaves who Peter's writing to, who have masters over them, who can tell them whatever they want and say, you need to do this regardless, and who can treat them however they want to. That's the lived experience of the people that Peter's writing to. Peter challenges them to submit to allow them to have authority over them, to submit out of a sense, again, of love. For us, we would recognise that the context in which if Peter was writing to us now would be in our workplaces, to say, submit to those people who are higher in authority in our workplaces, our bosses and the people around us, to show them complete respect as well. And Peter challenges us to recognise that that's easy to do when we have a good boss. So if we have someone who believes in us, someone who encourages us, someone who cheers us on, someone who gives us lots of opportunities, it's really easy for us to submit. But what about when we don't? What about when we have a boss who isn't a good boss at all, who doesn't treat us very well? Some challenging words that Peter says in the next couple of verses. Verse 19, God will bless you for this if you endure the pain of undeserved suffering because you are conscious of his will. For what credit is there if you endure the beatings you deserve for having done wrong? But if you endure suffering even when you've done right, God will bless you for it. I don't know about you, but those verses challenge me a little bit to say, are you kidding me? <laughs> like, Peter, are you serious? We're challenged to submit but part of what Peter is really getting into is to say, what's your attitude as you submit? As a slave, you don't have a choice. You have to submit. You don't have an option in that. But we can submit with a really bad attitude at times, particularly when we think about the workforce. We can submit with a sense of bitterness or a sense of frustration or a sense of resentment about the person who's above us. So again, the, po the focus that Peter's got here is, is our submission done out of love? Are we starting from a point, again, of being able to see the other person the way that God sees them? 
Or do we have all sorts of other thoughts going around in our minds, all sorts of other soundtracks about what that person is, objectifying them, demonising them? Or are we starting with love? Now, the challenge here is to recognise that this is not about just rolling over. This is not about saying slavery is great and everyone should do it. The problem is that's actually how this verse has been interpreted and has been used and is one of the reasons why some people have a major problem with the church because they say these verses are condoning slavery and not just condoning slavery but condoning really bad behaviour in slavery. If you're a slave, too bad. Just get beaten and if you're beaten, especially if you deserve it, put up with it. But even if you don't, you should still put up with it. This is why it's really important for us to start with Jesus not start with the rest of the New Testament. Because if we start from Jesus, we recognise that Jesus says that it's our responsibility to love our enemies, to pray for those who persecute us. But Jesus shows us what it looks like to challenge the power structures that are in place around us. To be able to say, it's not okay to just put up with abuse, but there are positive ways of us being able to respond. And we recognise that slavery isn't something that's condoned by Christians. In fact, Christians have been the ones who've been on the forefront of getting rid of slavery in lots and lots of places around the world. And slavery is still a major issue today, particularly in the sex trade. It's still a huge problem. And the people who are on the front foot of attacking slavery are generally people who follow Jesus. So it's clear that these verses are not saying, oh, slavery's fine, don't worry about it, it's all good. There's something else that's going on there. And what Peter's trying to remind us is that we have an opportunity in the way that we respond when we're in difficult situations to change the power dynamics. To say in actual fact, no matter how you treat me, you don't have power over me. My identity is secure because of who Jesus says that I am, not because of the way that you treat me. There's nothing that you can do that's going to make me respond in a way that doesn't honour Jesus. That's why we talk about being peacemakers, being peace creators. We're people who challenge ourselves not to respond to violence with violence, not to respond to aggression with more aggression, not to allow the things that other people do to us to break us and make us respond in a way that is anything other than love. But it is really challenging what Peter's saying here, especially in verse 20. Endure the beatings that you deserve because you've done wrong. That seems really, really harsh. Well, you messed up, so just you've got to put up with it. But then even more challenging, endure the suffering even when you've done right. So Peter's really pushing us. This isn't punishment for something they've done wrong. This is pure injustice. People who are completely innocent. Peter's saying you should endure the suffering that comes your way, but trust that God sees what's going on. Trust that God knows what's happening. God knows what you're putting up with. God knows that you are innocent. God knows what you are going through and he doesn't just turn a blind eye to it. God is able to work through any situation, even the darkest of situations. But Peter then says something that really helps us to understand why we need to stretch ourselves with what he's talking about. Because if we are struggling with all this and we feel like this is all very harsh and unfair... He then says, none of this is something that Jesus is asking you to do that he hasn't done himself. In the next few verses, Peter writes, It was to this that God called you, for Christ himself suffered for you 
and left you an example so that you would follow in his steps. He committed no sin and no one ever heard a lie come from his lips. When he was insulted, he did not answer back with an insult. When he suffered, he did not threaten but placed his hopes in God, the righteous judge. Christ himself carried our sins in his body to the cross so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. It's by his wounds that you have been healed. You were like sheep that had lost their way, but now you've been brought back to follow the shepherd and the keeper of your souls. Just think about the reality of what Jesus could have done, how Jesus could have responded. Jesus who was completely innocent, Jesus who never spoke a word of a lie, Jesus who never operated from selfish motivations. But when he was insulted, did he bite back? No. When he suffered, did he react? No. And Jesus' motivation in all of that, we come back to this same word, love. Jesus was willing to put up with all of that, even though he's completely innocent, because of his love for us. And through his suffering, we're ultimately made right with God. And so we remember again that out of even the darkest situations, out of even Jesus' death, God is able to bring ultimate good. So if we are people who say that we choose to follow Jesus, does that mean that we're willing to follow Jesus' example, even when things are really, really hard and really unfair? As we flip over into chapter 3, Peter then challenges us about what it looks like to submit in relationships. Some more verses that have often got the church into significant trouble. In verse 1, Peter writes, In the same way, you wives must submit to your husbands, so that if any of them do not believe God's word, your conduct will win them over to believe. It will not be necessary for you to say a word, because they'll see how pure and reverent your conduct is context of the early church. Again, there's a whole bunch of people who are making a decision to follow Jesus, but not everyone. And in particular, there was something very appealing about the message of Jesus for women. There was something very empowering, something very radical and revolutionary about the way that Jesus engaged with women and the things that Jesus said that caused a lot of women to choose to become a part of the early church. However, their husbands often didn't follow suit. And so now you've got all these complicated relationships where you've got women who've made a decision to follow Jesus and their husbands who've said, no, I'm going to stay Jewish or I'm going to stay with whatever it is that I believe. So what do you do when that's the reality? Do you just throw your marriage in? Do you say, well, too bad, that's over now because I'm following Jesus? What are we supposed to do here? Well, Peter says, no, you shouldn't throw your marriage in. You should stay in your marriage but you should allow the way that you live to make a huge difference. And this is really, really good advice to us, not just for those of us who are in marriages. This is good advice to us for any of us who have people around us who don't necessarily believe the same things as us, which I think is probably all of us. All of us have people in our families, have people in our workplaces, have neighbours, have friends who don't believe the same things as us. And so the advice that Peter is giving to women here is actually really helpful for everyone. To say people should know that you've made a decision to follow Jesus, you shouldn't be ashamed about that, you shouldn't be embarrassed about that at all. But we don't cram that down other people's throats. We don't make a massive big deal about it. We should let the way that we live our life make people other say, other people say, 
I can see the difference that Jesus is making in your life. Now, this is not about morality. This is not about us trying to make sure that we do everything right and never do anything wrong and never get ourselves into trouble. We've tried that in different versions of the church and it hasn't worked out very well for us. It's not about us being goody two-shoes and trying to set an example that way, but it's about internally what's going on for us. Are we people of peace? Are we people of joy? Are we people of contentment? One of my favourite phrases that's being used a lot at the moment is the idea of being a non-anxious presence. Are we a non-anxious presence in the different circles in which we walk when we're around our families, around our friends, around people in our workplaces? Are we people where others look at us and they know that we follow Jesus and they say, I can see by the way that you handle situations that there's something different. I can tell by the sense that you've got something bigger than just what's happening in this moment that there's something different about you. You have a non-anxious presence about you which is captivating and inspiring. And Peter then reminds us that it isn't about outwardly what's going on for us, but it is what's happening on the inside. He specifically talks about what that looks like in terms of our dress and all those sorts of things, but we can think about anything external as he says these words. Verse 3, he says, You shouldn't use outward aids to make yourself beautiful, such as the way you fix your hair or the jewellery you put on or the dresses you wear. Instead, your beauty should consist of your true inner self, the ageless beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of the greatest value in God's sight. It's not about what we have externally. It's not about the job that we have. It's not about the clothes we wear. It's not about the size of our TV. It's not about the car that we drive or anything else. It's nothing external. That beautiful phrase, the ageless beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit. If all of us lived that way, that would have a huge impact on all of the people around us. We need to let our spiritual beauty shine through. So as Peter says, wives, submit to your husbands. This again is not the way that it's often been used in different streams of the church. Where people are just told, yes, master, do whatever you want. I have no power. I have no authority here. And it's also not about saying I'm worse or I'm inferior in any way at all. It is about submission that comes from a heart of love and respect for the other person. Others-centred love. The other challenge that we often face is that often people will stop here and say, wives, you've been told that you need to submit, and that's the end of the Bible reading, so let's stop there. But without exception, that's not what the Bible stops at. There's almost always some advice for husbands to follow through as well. So Peter says in verse 7, in the same way, the same way, you husbands must live with your wives with the proper understanding that they're more delicate than you. Careful, we'll come back to that. Treat them with respect because they also will receive together with you God's gift of life. Do this so that nothing will interfere with your prayers. Now again, here's where we can kind of go down an unhealthy road where we say, see, so men are much better and much more powerful. Women are delicate and they need understanding. So they need to submit because they don't really know what's going on. It's not what Peter's saying here at all. When he talks about treating wives with proper understanding, it's probably more accurately translated knowledge. So know your spouses. Understand where they're coming from. Stop long enough that you can really get what they're saying to you. 
And anyone who's been in a marriage knows that's kind of really important advice. Don't jump to conclusions. Don't make assumptions. Do you actually hear what the other person is saying? Do you actually understand their perspective and where they're coming from? What's that? That's the foundation of love, being able to understand. So when Peter says, treat them with proper understanding, he's not saying pat them on the head. He's saying, like, really know them, understand where they're coming from. But then we have this word delicate, which is not super helpful for us. But what Peter then says is to treat them with respect, to treat them as valuable, which when you think about it from that context, delicate actually makes a lot of sense. Things that we think are valuable, we treat with respect. We treat them as delicate. We hold them carefully. That's what Peter's actually saying here. That women are not delicate because they're weak. Perhaps there's a truth that in general terms, women are often physically not quite as strong as men. We'll dance around that carefully. But certainly what Peter is not saying here is that women are weaker morally or intellectually or have weaker character. And so therefore, they're delicate. The message translation actually says, be careful because they lack some of your advantages, which is super helpful given the context that Peter's writing into, that women didn't have the same advantages as men and therefore they needed to be treated with a sense of understanding, respect. All of those things were really, really important. Peter finishes by saying, do nothing that will interfere with your prayers. In the ways that you treat each other, you should do nothing that's going to make you, when you're sitting before God, feel a sense of awkwardness. Nothing about spending time with God and being completely open and transparent in the way that you have treated the other. So this, I've spent a bit of time on it today because this is one of the major issues that a lot of people have with the church, and rightly so, because the way often that women have been treated in the church is incredibly unhealthy. And the way that women have been treated in marriages in the church has been incredibly unhealthy. Last year, the ABC did a really big report talking about the reality of domestic violence in church families. And this is one of the verses that has been used to prop that up, to say it's totally fine to do whatever I want to my wife. And wives, you can't do anything about it. You just have to submit and put up with it is unbelievably mistranslating and misunderstanding what Peter is saying here. Whenever the Bible talks about submission, it's talking about mutual submission to one another, treating each other equally, love at the centre of who we are, and then giving the other person power and authority, but that person's also given me power and authority. So there's equality there. And in actual fact, the challenge for those of us who are husbands is that most of the time, women are asked to submit and men are asked to do something much more challenging. Ephesians 5 is a great example where wives are encouraged to submit to their husbands, but husbands are asked to love their wives as Jesus loved the church and was willing to die for it. That's a much, much higher ask than just submitting. Do we love our spouses with the same love that Jesus has for the church that allowed him to go all the way to the cross? So as we look at this idea of submission, it's all about love. Do we love the other person? And out of that, make a choice to submit, allow them to be in a position of power or authority. So as we wrap up, the question that I want us to wrestle with is who is God asking me to submit to out of love? 
As I have been working through this this morning, is there someone that comes to mind that I know God's challenging me about what it looks like for me to submit in a healthy way out of love? Now, all of us can probably think of examples where we know that's really unhelpful and it's really dangerous. Those are not the examples that we're talking about here. And if you have a specific example that you want to unpack further, I'm more than happy to chat with you more afterwards about that. And the question is, as I think about the people in my life and as I think about what it looks like to love the people around me the way that God loves them, is there anyone that there's a sense where I'm being challenged about submission? about being able to be in a place where I'm willing to give them a sense of power and authority, but to do that out of love. If there is, what does it look like as I head into this week to be able to give them that opportunity, to be in that position, to submit, but to do it the way that I know Jesus would if he was in my shoes. So I'm going to wrap up and pray, and then Ross is going to come and lead us around the communion table. Let's pray. God, there's lots of passages in Scripture that are really, really challenging for us. Lots of things in the Bible that when we just read them and take them a verse at a time, sometimes we can take things so badly out of context and we can cause so much damage because of it. We're sorry that in the church, through the centuries, that has happened, particularly around these verses that we've looked at today. This idea of submission has been used in incredibly unhealthy ways to create power dynamics and to cause amazing amounts of damage to lots and lots of people. We're sorry for the way that we have abused that, that we have misused that. We thank you, Jesus, for your example, that submission ultimately comes down to love, that you were willing to submit to the will of the Father, that you were willing to submit to your parents, that you were willing to submit to the will of the authorities, the religious leaders around you, because ultimately you trusted God's ability to be able to use even the darkest of situations. And so for those of us who this idea of submitting, uh, those people who are in places where we're struggling because of bad bosses, because of people around us, um, or because we know of contexts where in marriages or uh, family and friends that we have in other parts of the world, where the government is incredibly unhealthy, where there are struggles there, I pray that you would help us to know that you understand Jesus, you have been through everything and more than what's happening in those situations. And so give us courage, give us strength to be able to keep going. We're really fortunate that for the majority of us, that's not what our experience is. And as we think about this idea of submission, it is about thinking about it in healthy ways, in our workplaces, in our families, in our relationships. And so I ask that as we step into this week, you would continue to challenge us about simply what it looks like to see people the way that you see them. To be able to trust that the people you've put in positions of authority over us, you've you've given them those positions and there's a reason for that. And so help us to have a healthy sense of submitting out of your love and trusting that you can work through our decisions on a daily basis to be people who submit to one another and to those around us. In your name we pray. Amen.